Yes, hold on. <laughs> you can make it hold on. Everything's going to be all right in time. <laughs> Just hold that thought. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks, the Black Arts and Culture Show of the African Sisters Media Network. And yeah, you probably can interpret that, that chuckle. Yeah, that's our favorite poet, Bernard D. Moore calling us from, are you calling us from Raleigh, North Carolina? Mm, calling from Carolina. Yeah, yeah, Carolina. And what time is it there? I know it's not 8 o'clock. <laughs> uh, no, it's a, it's about 11 here. Okay, okay. So, yeah, you've, you've been in your morning for a minute, and we're so happy that you can conclude it with us. Because your new book, oh, my goodness, um, just takes us through the seasons. Long rain, <laughs> poetry, and uh, and there's some prose, which you're going to tell us about, you know, this form where you have, you know, this prosy intro, and you have all this beautiful poetry, and, um, and your intro, 
by Guy Davenport. It's just beautiful. And you wrote this book a very long time ago. So it's all a really great story. And we hope that your friend um, uh, Earl S. Bragg feels better soon. And we're going to have him on when he is up for a conversation because he has a book as well um, that just came out on the same press uh, as yours, um, uh, Wet Cement Press, Earl S. Bragg's book is A Boy Named Boy, and you all are friends. Um, um, oh, and, yeah, long-time uh, friends, decades. Uh, you know, he's a great poet, uh, but this new book you're talking about is a memoir that he published mm-hmm. or had published. Right, right. And and both of you... Um, uh, at least that's that's the um, the intention. Both of you all have a uh, a book uh, signing conversation coming up um, next Saturday, September twenty fifth, uh, two to three, um, at the uh, Quail Ridge Books and Quail Ridge Ridge Books uh, folks is in Raleigh, North Carolina. So um, yeah. I guess you could fly out. You have a week. <laughs> and, and I know folks know you here because you used to live here uh, in the Bay. Plenty of time so to get that's there. Certainly, yeah, certainly time to get there. And and you can uh, get your, your tickets at Eventbrite, and I have linked to it in the description. And uh, I don't I don't know <clears throat> I don't know the um, the vicinity, but it's North Hills, forty two oh nine through one hundred. Um, uh, Lassiter Mill Road, and again, it's from two to three, and it's an outdoor event, so it's a little, little safer than an indoor event. <laughs> and you can get your books there. Um, they're both a really reasonable sixteen dollars, and you can also pre-order them. Uh, well, you don't. Can you pre-order them? Yeah. Um. It says uh, the publishing date is, it says November for yours, November 15th, 2021. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But um, the other book um, by uh, by Mr. Braggs is, is um, you don't have to pre-order because it's already out. So I've never heard of Wet Cement Press. Um I like I like the uh, <laughs> well well you like heard the, of I like them now. The, Check their books out. They do beautiful books. Yeah, yeah. They, they publish yeah, they're some just really wonderful authors. Mm, mhm. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. So, see, I guess I could read your bio or you can uh, no, talk a I'll little bit about yourself. No, I'll let you say something. I don't want to say anything about myself. You don't. <sighs> All right. Okay. <laughs> so, you are going to be modest. All righty now. Let's see. Okay. Uh I really like what um um what Mr. Davenport said about you um in your uh in in the wonderful introduction and uh just about you know that that you are he says uh Leonard Leonard Moore is a Japanese poet who lives in North Carolina or North Carolina uh Lena poet who lives in an imaginary medieval Japan he has been a farmer an American soldier in Germany, a school teacher. His ancestors came from Africa in chains. He seems to the world's eye to be a representative 
be a representative, a, fa- a husband, father, and citizen, as any sociologist might point to as a statistically ordinary, well-behaved American. <laughs> And the sociologist would be wrong, for Leonard Moore is a poet, and for all good poets are extraordinary, and very good ones are unique. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I really I really like that. And, uh, and in your official bio, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and this is at the back of the book, because... Uh, it says that <laughs> you are an internationally acclaimed poet and uh, anthologist, especially known for your work with haiku and other Japanese form like tanka. And uh, and what's the one that um, is represented here in this collection? Haibun. Haibun, right, right. Yeah, I never heard of that before. We had a conversation earlier this <laughs> month. <laughs> So we're so well, looking well, forward well, to Well, goes back to uh, Basho. You know, we know about his haiku, but uh, hopefully uh, we know about uh, his haibun, too. Uh, at least it should be known, you know, his journey to the interior. You know, he he's known for that, and haiku is prose with... Uh, I mean, haibun is prose with uh, haiku interspersed in between there, so... Uh, I have some here. I've been writing haibun for decades, uh, you know, and uh, haiku almost 40 years, tanka almost 40 years. So uh, I enjoy those forms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, looking forward to your telling us how you, you know, came uh, to to know and enjoy and love these forms that you're so well known for. Um, your work has been published in more than 16 countries and translated into more than 12 languages. You're the author of Geography of Jazz, A Temple Looming, Desert Storm, A Brief History, Forever Home, and The Open Eye, among other books. You are also the editor of All the Songs We Sing and One Window's Light, a collection of haiku. Uh, winner of the Haiku Society of America 2018 Merit Book Award. You've taught creative writing in African-American literature, and you've collaborated with poets, visual artists, musicians, and dancers on several projects. You're the founder and executive director of the Carolina uh, African-American Writers Collective and co-founder of the Washington Street Writers Group. You are the first African-American president of the Kaiku Society of America, and you are the executive chairman of the North Carolina Haiku Society. Among your numerous awards are the North Carolina Award for Literature, Furious Flower Laureate Ring, Haiku Museum of Tokyo Award, Margaret Walker Creative Writing Award, Indies Art Award, and Kabe Common Fellowships. You are a U.S. Army veteran who earned his Master's of Arts in English and African-American Literature from North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University and your Bachelor's of Arts in Liberal Studies with a minor in English, magna cum laude, from Shaw University. So once again, thank you so much (laughs) for joining us. Thank you. 
you know, really love talking to you. You are just you're just so fun. And uh and before before we, we start, I just wanna um just pour uh a libation um for um the young girls who were killed at around ten uh ten ten I believe um that Sunday in um in Birmingham when the 16th Street Baptist Church was bombed, September 15, 1963. And and to the survivors, the surviving sister, Sarah Collins Rudolph, and and to the other children who were killed afterwards, you know, as they rode their bikes or as they walked or as they were just being black, you know. And um, um, I don't, don't quite... Well, I do understand the experience, but not quite the way that you might know it, um, you know, growing up in the South and having, you know, that overt racist hate, something that was a part of, you know, the tapestry of, you know, the environment that so many of our folks, um, ancestors, and since then have had to uh, bear, not just in the South, but everywhere. So anyway, I say to their memories. And one of the best poems I've read about that uh, incident is Dudley Randall's Ballad of mm-hmm. Birmingham. It's, it's a really good poem. Uh, and, you know, Dudley Randall uh, was a publisher, too, you know, the publisher of Broadside Press, which uh, mm-hmm. was a black publishing house. Oh, so, nice. so, so, yeah, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that. So I thought I would mention his poem, uh, Ballad of Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I uh, just got uh, the book African American Poetry, 250 Years of Struggle and Song, um, edited by Kevin Young. And uh, when you see it, I was like, hmm, I wonder if, wonder if that poem is in this collection. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good <laughs> anthology that uh, Kevin Young edited. Mhm. Yeah. Mm. So, so tell us about Long Rain, and it it takes us through the various elements. Um, I really like the way that it's arranged: um, earth, wind, fire, and water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and you wrote this a while back. It's not a book you just. Okay. Yeah, I originally put the manuscript together in 1994, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the uh, publisher and editor, they had an uh, interesting take on this about adding the uh, high boom to the collection. Uh, I originally put it uh, together, a Tonka manuscript, uh, that long ago. So, you know, if it was that long ago, I did it with a typewriter. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, and, and so the manuscript was quite thick. Uh, and, you know, before Guy Davenport passed, uh, he wrote the uh, intro uh, to the manuscript. And, and, and so um, I really like what the uh, editor and, and publisher suggested about adding the uh, high moon to it, too. And so you mentioned about the uh, four little girls who died. I have a high moon in here. 
which uh, mentions uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, funeral. So uh, at some point, I'll probably read that piece, and I think that'll be like a, a piece that would be, uh, you know, with uh, the uh, situation and trouble and uh, civil rights movement and all of that stuff that was going on back during that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That that particular section, water follows right. fire. I kind of I like fire, and and so no, we're not going to make our audience wait. It's like no, 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 no. Um, we're gonna we're gonna like <laughs> so you want me to open with right? that piece, huh? Yeah, since uh-huh. you mentioned it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's mm-hmm. interesting. <laughs> okay, let me see the page number. Oh, it's uh, 110. Okay. It's, 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 it's interesting that uh, you want me to start with that piece, but like I said, though, it relates to uh, what you mentioned. So, uh, yeah, thanks for asking me to open with that piece. So here we go. And it's titled uh, Watery Tuesday, April ninth, 1968. Of course, uh, it wasn't watery on that day, but you will see what the watery relates to in the poem. I don't want to give it away. So once again, this high moon is titled Watery Tuesday, April 9th, 1968. And you know the significance of that particular date. I don't want to give away anything else. I'm going to read it. And so, you know, as I mentioned, it's prose and haiku. So I'm going to read the prose and the haiku. That's the uh, Japanese poetic form for high moon. So the haiku will... I don't want to say close the poem. Hopefully it will resonate in a way where that maybe it will linger in the listener's mind and um, maybe he or she or they can participate in the experience. Here we go. Watery Tuesday, April 9th, 1968. I remember that ninth day a learning day, we're lining up at the classroom door, not knowing what to expect, but obeying our fourth grade teacher. We love our teacher. She's the only white teacher at our school. If we get out of line, she'll say, bend over and grab your ankles. We don't want to feel the smack of her tan plastic baseball bat. We love to sing the songs in Spanish and dance in her class. Today we walk single file, the straightest line, to the cafeteria where the glossy wooden stage waits like the black and white TV. We watch Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s funeral. We weep salt water. Keep sobbing until we return to class. Spring daylight. A pot or pan bangs behind us. 
So so tell us about um, um, this this form because I had never heard of it before I read your book, and and also within this um, this section, uh, yeah, I really I really like the uh, um, are they haiku that that follow. Mhm, mhm. Yeah, I could, I could see, I could see like these watercolor images, you know, of your painting with your, with with your, wow. with your, with your words. Um, yeah, um, a woman kneels where a fountain rises and falls. A chickadee sings in the black walnut tree that towers over me. And then, and then I, I really enjoy. Um, um, not just here, but elsewhere, where you have these images of of black men. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. Really, really nice. Yeah. So, could you talk to us a little bit about you know this this recommendation? Um, I guess by the publisher, and um, you know, to add these this particular. Um, Almost like introduction to each section. Um, mm-hmm. I really like well, the first I think, one. I think um, it gives the the book more depth and and opens up mm-hmm. the work more, and hopefully it resonates. So I'm glad that they uh, suggested that I include or incorporate uh, some high boon, uh, some high boon into the book. Um, you know, like uh, opening each section. So I like the way they arranged that. Uh, you know. And I feel that uh, the high boom uh, works with the uh, Tonka. Hopefully they're in conversation with one another. We'll see what readers think and, and listeners think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely um, say they're in conversation with one another. Um, you know, uh, there's another one in that section, A Day Without Wind, A Fine Evening Rain Hisses Through Yellow Willows. The teenager unbraiding her grandma's thinning red gray hair. <laughs> I mean, it's just so. So what I try to do is capture our culture too, you know, and and mm-hmm. document, uh, you know, uh, I guess we could say uh, history, culture, and 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 try to uh, infuse my work with, uh, you know, music. Uh, include hopefully visual. Uh, vivid imagery, good details, and and so forth in the work, and and see what happens. Uh, you know, I, I believe in at least trying to create a sense of place in my work too, and, and hopefully I'm, I was able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, people don't think about the snow um, in the south, and you you write. Um, Bright snow, a four-wheel drive grinds up the hill. I slip and slide on my way back home. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, what we have here, that. and I like that we have all four seasons. Uh, you know, mm. um, I don't know how it would be. Well, I guess uh, I somewhat know how it would be without the four seasons because you know I I spend a little bit of time. In uh, San Diego, uh, 1983 to 84, and, you know, it was 
warm out there the entire time and and you know it didn't seem to rain that often but but here I like that we have the seasons and you know uh I also like the growing season because you know I grew up doing lots of farm work and gardening for for decades so I feel a kinship with the land and hopefully this book uh uh depicts some of that too Mhm. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Yeah, you you find uh, you know, the tilling and uh, appreciation of the riches from, you know, the soil, you know, throughout and and then also sort of looking at uh, you know, people as um as sort of the the earth that things grow from like your grandmother. Um, I was wondering if you could read the one here about the old black men on one thirty on page one thirty one. Okay, let me and see. and on, and also the one on page one thirty, they kind of like resonated uh, with one another. Let's see. I saw it a minute ago. Wow, where did I see that? Wow, see, I didn't know which pieces you would uh, refer to, but I'm going to read this one. Hopefully this is uh, one of the ones you're referring to. Okay. Old black men standing in front of the corner store. Sun soaks their overalls and on the sidewalk. A gathering of shadows. Mhm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the one on the uh, the facing page, and the, well, the other page, and this this one precedes it. Morning deepens. The balding man scrapes ice off the Cadillac, while I jog my shepherd around the subdivision. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, see, I try to include specificity or hopefully good detail, so that's why it's Cadillac rather than just car. Uh, mm-hmm. So I kind of do some naming in my work, too, if you will, or as I say, specificity, so I try to have some of that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but you think about black men and their Stacey Adams, black men and their Cadillacs. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, like... <laughs> If you want, if you want a black man to sort of, you know, resonate, you have a Cadillac <laughs> in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I think it tells something about the character or the person uh, in the mm-hmm. poem, and mm-hmm. and maybe also up something about class, something about the town, or, or, or you know. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, all of those things are in there, and you know. Uh, Tonka is only five lines long, so, you know, try to do more than just a snapshot, hopefully. Mm, mm-hmm. Right, right. And then, you know, and think about, you know, the shepherd, uh, German shepherd. Um, you know, that's a dog. We we had German shepherds when I was growing mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's a, it's a noble dog. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because, you know, when I teach creative writing or literature, I tell my students, I cannot see a bird 
but I can see a cardinal, I can see a robin, I can see a blue jay. I cannot see a tree, but I can see a maple, a birch, a black walnut tree, you see? Mm-hmm. So that naming, that specificity, I think is so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then you, at the end of the, the poem that you shared, you know, a gathering of shadows, you know, you say, you know, you have all these, you know, these sibilants, you know, sun, soaks, their overcoats, and then you have sidewalk gathering of of shadows, and, and they're standing, old men standing in front of the corner store. And just like how mm-hmm. many, how many images like that is like so classic, old men standing mm-hmm. in front of the corner store when they can. Because, you know, sometimes young men can't stand in front of corner stores. They get right, arrested right. or they get, like, right. move on. You know, sun right. soaks their overcoats and on the sidewalk a gathering of shadows. And then that's sort of like that particular idea of shadows. You know, you think about, you know, our shadow and, you know, the shadows that sort of the ones we inherit, inherit and the shadows mm-hmm. that we don't face and the whole idea of not being, Scene. <laughs> mhm, mhm. Yeah, it's got a whole and, lot. And right maybe there. it says something about silence too, because you know si- mm-hmm. uh, shadows mm-hmm. are silent. But then too, maybe that last line, a gathering of shadows, does it allude to Ernest Gaines' uh, novel, A Gathering of Old Men? I don't know what Definitely. what what comes mm-hmm. to the poem. Mhm. I'll leave that up to yeah. the reader or the listener. Right, yeah, yeah. But so it's, maybe it's that illusion is there. I don't know. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're hanging out in water. Uh- <laughs> and then we know and- something about the seasons because it said something about the old black men's overcoats. Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you you can imagine, you know, how people gathered at the uh, corner store and told stories, or maybe uh, sat around, played checkers, or whatever they do, you know. Mhm. Mhm. Conversation. Yeah. So, so hopefully, mm-hmm. all that's packed in those five lines. Mhm. Yes. Yes. Um. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you if you know what this is, but um. The the poem about about the the widow, and and the sensuous one that precedes that one, the warmth of thighs. Do you um do you know what those two are? What section are you in? Same section. I'm still in water. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm hanging out in water. I'm just thinking about you know um, you know rain, and and tears. And oceans, mm-hmm, <laughs> and Yemen mm-hmm, job, mm-hmm. all, kind, all forms of uh, water. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. And then our bodies are water. And then we can't survive without water. You're right. And then mm-hmm. the Earth is covered by what? Seventy-five percent water. The ocean. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. So yeah, water is significant. Mhm. We could look at water too as energy, right? Mhm. Mhm. Let's see. I'm looking for that poem still that you mentioned. 
As you're looking, can you talk? Well, yeah, I can talk. Uh, so I was wondering. Um, I have a question. That's why I asked you the question uh, about oh. could you could you multitask? Because I don't. Oh, of you course. Know, you could. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but of I, course. What I was wondering when you when you wrote, you know, wrote this uh, or put this collection together, did you write? each section when you were in that particular season? So did it take you a year to write it? No, no. You know what I did, honestly? I write so much as I had so many poems, so I just Mm -hmm. spread the poems out on the floor, and then I arranged them, and I saw what I had, and I'm like, oh, I see what I could do. Mm. And and so that's what I did. I write so much, and th- you know what? That's what I tell others, those whom I mentor, those whom I teach, and and writers groups or whatever. I say just create the body of work. There will come a time when you know those works will be released to the public or published. You know, mm-hmm. uh, for the global community. Just keep writing. That's what's important. Hmm. And 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 so I guess the time came for me to put that collection together. Although it was almost thirty years ago when I put it together, but the time came, and 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 you know the publisher was interested in it, and so I was thrilled. So once again, just keep writing. At some point, uh, maybe the works will find a home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how? Talk to us about your process and also about your filing system. How do you stay organized? Like you wrote this 30 years ago. Like, how did you find it? Uh, well, I keep lots of manuscripts. Uh, I know where my manuscripts are. Okay. And so, and I have other manuscripts, too. I have another manuscript. Well, I have more than one. I have a number of manuscripts. So, And I have one, another that I put together probably mm-hmm. about a year or two after this one, and I still have that manuscript. Mm-hmm. And that manuscript is on the Million Man March, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the two people who wrote something for it, the introduction and the afterword, are E. Ethelbert Miller and uh, mm-hmm. Jerry W. Ward, Jr., uh, the eminent scholar. And uh, Ethelbert, such a great poet, so so they both wrote something for it. But I'm still holding that manuscript too. And then there are other manuscripts. Uh, you know, hopefully, as I said, the uh, works hopefully will find a home when the time is right, and whenever I could find the right publisher for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so how did you find you know Wet Cement Press and and know that this was um, the right publisher for for Long Rain. Well, that's interesting. Uh, Earl Braggs uh, had a reading back during the, well, it was, I think, uh, last fall. Uh, maybe it was November 2020. And, mm-hmm. you know, I listened to his work. I listened to the uh, publisher talk about the press uh, and, and the editor. I think she introduced him. So, I listened to them, and I uh, tried to see what they published, and, you know, I knew Earl's work, and so I just uh, sent sent a manuscript to him to see what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, okay. I actually, I actually, I sent two manuscripts. I sent the other one that I just mentioned, and, and I sent this one, and they were interested in this one. Maybe because it was something I hadn't published as a book before. You know, I published lots of haiku, you know, and some haiku books. So uh, they are interested in, in in new things, you know. So so this is a new thing for me. Even though I've been writing talk, as I said, for almost 40 years, next year will be 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And and then how how do you know uh, Guy Davenport? Um, you know, the oh yeah, I, I, wonderful. Knew him, uh, I knew him for a long time. You know, I would read his work, and then somehow we would talk over the phone uh, quite often, and. Uh, Man, he was brilliant, uh, you know, and I would listen, and uh, he would talk about his trips to Denmark and, uh, you know, his essays that he was writing for, uh, I think it was called Harper's uh, Magazine, and uh, on and on, and, you know, uh, his book, The Geography of the Imagination, I loved those essays. Mm -hmm. And so I knew about his short story. I knew about his uh, translations, uh, you know, as well as his short stories. I knew about his uh, uh, scholarship, literary criticism, and on and on. And, and, you know, I was just listening when he would talk on the phone. He was so intelligent. And uh, so I, I was trying to soak up that knowledge. And And so... Uh, back around 90 or 91, uh, uh, some of us, we went, uh, uh, family members and me, we went to, drove out to Fort Wayne, Indiana to uh, one of my homeboys' weddings. Uh, and on the way back, we stopped by Guy Devonport's house, talked to him, and uh, he showed us his tree out back and all that. I think it might have been a persimmon tree. And I think he had something like a shed, and maybe that was a writing shed out back. I'm not sure, but I'm sure he told us back then. So, And, you know, he would tell me about uh, other writers. I said there was another writer that uh, he would talk about. His name was Ronald something. I forget the last name. But, yeah, he would, he would talk about that and um, talk about writing, and I enjoyed that. And, and as I said, you know, his travels. Uh, I guess he went to Denmark a bit and, and some other places. And then he told me about when he won the MacArthur Genius uh, Grant Award and, and so forth. And I think after that, not long after, I believe he retired from teaching at the University of Kentucky. Yeah. Oh. Did you find the poem? Oh, no, I didn't find the poem. (laughs) (laughs) I just started talking, and then I closed the book and put it down. (laughs) I got engaged into the story because, you know, I love storytelling, and and that's so important in the South. In fact, I grew up listening to my granddaddy's uh, storytelling, Mm -hmm. and I think that, too, inspired me. So, you know, we love stories in the South, and I'm sure you can tell that, and I'm, I'm sure you know that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Here's one. Um, let's see. What section is this in? Uh, this is in Wind. 
man with a goatee hunkers in the onion patch. The which, wind which lifts. Which section is that? Wind. Oh. Yeah, man with a goatee hunkers in the onion patch. The wind lifts while I descend the steps into early light. <laughs> and then on the opposite page, you write, I sniff the wind as the scent of honeysuckle rises from the path. Her blouse blows wide open the shape of her full breast. Go pretty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I see that. And But see, I deal with sound or music in my work, too, and you see the B sounds um, in those yes. last two lines. And and then you look at the assonance of the O sounds and, and so forth. So mm-hmm. not yes. just specificity or good tales or imagery or, or whatever. I try to have uh, music in my work, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to read the two that you couldn't find, and then I want you to talk about your grandmother and your grandfather. Um, Sleepless, I listen to your breathing. This shortest night, the warmth of thighs all over my body. Very nice. With breathing, it sounds like that might be in the wind section. No, it's in the same section. It's in the water. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yes, it's toward the end of that section. Um, there's only like a couple of pages left, and the book is over. And then the other one, opposite page, late winter, the widow works the dough for bread, and the heat rises from the oven. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, nice. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is a really nice book. It, I mean, it's just so comforting, and the book is like, physically not so large so you could actually you can't maybe put it in your pocket unless you have a very large pocket well not I a large bet you pocket, can carry it pocket. in your coat pocket and i bet i could have it in my suit pocket so that you can carry it around with you wherever you go and you pull it out if you go to the park or or mm-hmm. the beach or you know a museum wherever you go on mm-hmm. the bus or plane train you could have the book with you. Yeah, I was just thinking it might hang out of my pocket, and I wouldn't want anyone to take it. But I guess if they wanted it enough that they grabbed the book out of my pocket. Oh. <laughs> they must have needed it. <laughs> wow. Well, I hope the book speaks to others where they would want the book. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Or maybe ask you what you're reading. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, Well, you mentioned how um, you grew up in a place, you know, that, um, you know, with storytelling. And um, definitely we we can tell that, you know, for the the high bone. High Mm -hmm. bone, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Yeah, Opening to the hyphen opening to the second sections. And so I was wondering if you could talk about talk a little bit about just um uh your your attraction to to these forms, this form of writing and mm-hmm. um and, and how how you came to know it and because and, it certainly resonates with you and you have become a master of the craft and of this form. Uh, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and 
and share some stories with us. Um, oh, and before you do that, I hope you can remember all these things I'm mentioning. Um, I was just thinking about when you touch, you know, and the character touches, he didn't want to touch his feet to his ankles and feel the rubber, not the rubber, but the plastic um, uh, bat against his bottom. I'm like, whoa, for real? And, and I was wondering, <laughs> were all the teachers doing this to the kids? <laughs> well, you know, uh, way back then, you know how it was. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you don't. I don't know. Because yeah, I don't so. know if you were always where you are now. Oh, um, you mean geographically? Yeah. Oh, they used to hit us um, in school, but they use a, a ruler or a pallet. But my father told oh, me. Oh, yeah, that yeah, they had that too in high school. I mean, it, I guess it high depends school. upon the teacher. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh. The principal. Wow. Not the teacher, the principal oh. then if if he needed it. Mm. Yeah. But in, uh, you know, elementary school, they had paddles too. Oh, okay. I guess it depends upon the teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, so did the principal, huh? Yeah, well, my father told him they better not touch his children. So they would mm-hmm. make us sit in the chair with a hat on and, and ridicule With a hat on? What does that do? Make, make you feel embarrassed because people would know you're sitting on the stool in front of the class with the hat on because that means you were bad. Uh, really? For me, oh, I talk too that. much. Wow. Yeah, well, it's interesting that they you say that. Now it's common for people to wear hats wherever now, I guess. But I grew up when, you know, you were told that uh, boys or men take their hats off in the building. Mm-hmm. So I guess a little different there. No, it was a particular Maybe it had hat. to do with where you were from. I don't know. No, no, I no, I I grew up in San Francisco. This was San Francisco, and it was John McLaren Elementary School. I know the school even. No, we would sit in the front, and and I don't know. The hat might have said something on it. It was a particular kind of hat. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Or I could be remembering it in my imagination. I just know we were sitting up there looking at the class, and the class knew that it's not a it's not a seat of privilege. It's not like a throne. <laughs> It's mm-hmm. a hot seat. And then afterwards, um, I remember having to stay after school uh, a few times and write lines on the board. I will not talk in class when da 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 You know why I'm laughing? You know why I'm laughing? The teacher would make you write, you know, on that uh, brown paper that you had in uh, elementary mm-hmm. school yep. back then, and you had the big pencils. You had to write mm-hmm. 500 times, I will not talk in class. And of course, that took up the most of your weekend. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah. Well, for us, it yeah. wasn't homework. I'd have to we, I, It wasn't 500, I guess, because they would make me sit there and write it before I went home. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So do you have a <laughs> knot on your finger from that in elementary school? I used to, but it went away. From right, I think I still have this knot here or whatever. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, you yeah, write so much. Mm-hmm. But then I guess maybe it even helps your handwriting. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's so long ago, though, but yeah. Mhm. Yeah, torture. Yeah, so let's let's talk about about your grandmother and your grandfather and the storytelling and uh mm-hmm. yeah, and this form that you have been ah, you have been using to tell your stories for 40 years now. Well, well, you know, uh, grandparents, you know, they all did uh, interesting things. Uh, my grandmother, she made quilts, and my great-grandmother made quilts. I would watch her make those quilts, her whole living room filled with the big frame, and she's quilting. My grandfather, you know, gardening, and especially he was a carpenter, so I watched him build and stuff, you know, have the uh, sawhorse there and his trowel and uh, all of his tools, you know, the level, mm-hmm. and on and on. Uh, but, you know, uh, it was interesting standing there uh, watching him, talking to him, and like I say, listening to stories. And back then, before they used the uh, back holes to dig graves, you know, he was one of the uh, ones who, you know, grave digger, you know, but he would do that by himself with a shovel. And and so that's hard work, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, my brothers and I have done that, too, when my grandmother died about a little over 17 years ago. We... Uh, dug the grave uh so you know people did that um i guess in the south i don't know maybe somewhere else uh, you know i don't know but you know various tasks people just worked worked hard and 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 that's how i would till my garden a lot of times i saw my uncle do that so i would get the shovel and just uh turn the land over you know the earth over <laughs> i dig and turn it over and then i get the shovel and so forth but you know i know about a tilder and all that stuff but you know the hard work was okay mm mm-hmm. mhm yeah mm-hmm. and then working with a wheelbarrow and all that you don't see much of that anymore nowadays mm mhm yeah. yeah so what's in your garden right now well, well, I'm not doing it right now. I just let it go about five years ago after all these many decades. And at that oh. time, I was doing a garden for my mother and father every year and uh, mm-hmm. driving to their place and uh, working it uh, every week, uh, you know, during the summer. And they were a ways from me, about 120 miles or so. And but that's what I did. I love gardening, and I've written many poems about gardening or farming and all of that. You know, I did that growing up, working in tobacco fields, blueberry fields, you name it, corn fields, mm-hmm. on and on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so do you want to read some um, some poems about, um, about that, uh, about, you know, the earth? Um Let me find that section, okay. Uh Uh-huh, sure. That probably opens the book, though. I would think, yeah, it does. I thought so. You know what I do? (laughs) I read read this uh, first high boom that uh, opens the book in the earth section. Okay. Great-grandma Fanny. She stood ironing boards straight 
as if she had a basket on her head, born 24 years after the Civil War. I am still captivated by her stern, steady ways of working. Brown hands gripped the hoe, chopping weeds away from rows and rows of corn and peanuts. A blue apron around her waist, bonnet on her head. She died in 1972. She walked up and down sun-beaten rows, chopped weeds as steady as machines. Her wooden quilting frame took up most of her front room, hand-stitching a patchwork. I am fond of unraveling the quilt of this memory. How could I sizzle the thread of that time? It remains here. Forty-five years, her house falls into itself. Hmm. Yeah. Read the next one. Okay, the next one is the Tonka. Mm-hmm. Shoveling all day where the garden used to be, fresh smell of red earth. I stop to watch the woodpecker who hammers on the barn. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, you know, I love bird watching too, and so as as you see, I named the birds in the poem too, and um, mm-hmm. you know, try to capture and and then you know, uh, red earth. We know that's probably clay and and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. I don't want to tell too much. I hope the uh, my readers would just uh, participate in the experience of the poem and, and bring their experiences to the poem, and so hopefully it can expand in my readers' minds. So I don't want to give too much away about right. the poem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In that same section you write, Sunless Day, a black boy picking apples all by himself. Listening from the dirt road, the blue jay on the oak stump. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah, the birds again, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this, this is a nice one you write about flies uh, on the opposite page. A swoop of flies blackening the dead dog in the hayfield, grapes ripening in the dust. <laughs> and you know what I did in that poem, too? I don't really want to explain my poetry, but I talk about this particular one. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're talking about a dead dog and you're talking about the flies, what's happening here, going back to the natural world. But then we have grapes ripening. It's like a contrast. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. we have dust and in the dust in the last line. And, you know, all living things go back to dust. Uh, right. So mm-hmm. I can go on and on. And, you know, I, I try for originality, so... Uh, I have a swoop of flies, and hopefully give you a plan of image in your mind uh, how they might be flying, what they might be doing, and where are they? Hayfield. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then blackening, yeah. flies blackening, that should tell you that there are numerous flies, a whole lot of them 
because it mm-hmm. would take that for them to to blacken the dead dog. Right. So yeah. so I don't know if one might say there's understatement there or or what have you and uh you know uh, like I say uh I don't want to tell everything in the poem. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and and as I also said, I don't really want to uh, explain my own poetry. I leave that up to scholars, historians, students, readers, others. You know, I just mm-hmm. want to write the poem. Oh, well, that's perfectly fine. But of course, I could <laughs> I could explain the poetry because I've written many book reviews and uh you know critical papers but i, I don't want to do that to my own poetry mhm yeah yeah want to let our audience know again that we're speaking to um the wonderful uh Leonard D Moore about his um collection Long Rain a collection of poetry and he's going to be uh, having a uh, book reading and signing at Quail Ridge Books. Uh, again, that's um, North Hills, uh, 4209 through 100 uh, Lassiter Mill Road in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you are in that area, uh, you have a week to get your tickets and get on over there. It's Saturday, September 25th from 2 to 3. It's going to be the event. Um and it's a free event. Uh, they're asking you to RSVP on Eventbrite, I guess, so they can know how many people are coming, put the chairs out, things like that. And you can get your books. Um, uh, you can buy them uh, in advance uh, if you like. And uh, it's published by uh, Wet Cement Press. And um, yeah, all this information is on Eventbrite. <laughs> I found it really easy, <laughs> and I put a link. <laughs> I put a link in the description. <laughs> so uh, we got a couple of minutes. Um, you want to take us out with a poem, another okay. poem? And it doesn't have to be from this collection. It could be from whatever you like. Or you can tell us something. <laughs> you say it from whatever I want. So uh-huh. maybe maybe I also mentioned my other book from last year, The Geography of Jazz, and maybe I'd take oh, you out yeah. with a poem from that. Sounds good. Okay, let's see. What do we want? Maybe I'll do this poem titled At the Train Stop. And uh, you will hear Thelonious Monk mentioned in here. In fact, this book... uh, uh, you know, incorporates uh, many jazz musicians, singers, and a lot of them are from North Carolina, like Nina Simone, John Coltrane, Thelonious Monk. I can go on and on. Uh, and, and so this particular poem you hear Monk mention, and I actually wrote it on the train. I was headed up to New York, and, and so here's the poem, and you could tell it was doing fall season or autumn. Uh, I, I won't say anything else about the poem. Here we go. At the train stop, 
I imagine the quick hand, the lonious monk waves that red, orange, yellow leaves from Raleigh to Rocky Mount. Alone in the seat, I peer out the half window at the rainbow of faces bent toward this train that runs to the irresistible apple, determined to imagine monk glows like Carolina sun and cloudless blue sky. I try so hard to picture him until his specter honkers at the goat's piano foxfire on concrete platform. Now I can hear the tune Mysterioso float on sunlit air. If notes were visible, perhaps they would drift crimson, shimmer like autumn leaves. A hunch shudders into evening wordless flight. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you. Congratulations on this wonderful new collection, Long Rain. It is so beautiful. I encourage everyone to go out and get their copies. <laughs> and oh, thank you thank so much you. for your generosity. You're always such a pleasure to oh, you know, to start my day with. It's just it's just so wonderful. So Thank you. Well, you know, it's you, so great you know. to talk to you <laughs> and be in conversation and especially about poetry, you know? Mhm. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. both are poets. You're a poet too. So hey, that's <laughs> what we do. Ah, uh, that's so true. That is. So what we keep do. on poeming and poeting. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, thank you so much, Bernard. You take good care. <laughs> you too. Bye bye. All right. Peace. Bye. Peace and blessings. <laughs> blessings. Well, we are so happy to have all of these wonderful playwrights and award-winning playwrights of that um, uh, joining us this morning to talk about Playground and this gala celebration of 20 years of the June Ann Baker Prize and the wonderful program with food. And if you're not going to be, you know, <laughs> at the theater, then you're going to send a box dinner to folks. That sounds really cool. September 20th from 6 to 8. <laughs> is that right, Jim? <laughs> yes, that, yeah, that is. It's, it's a gala in a box. Gala in a box. Delivered. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one, one, of our, one of our local actors, Cindy Goldfield, during the pandemic, she created a catering company called Martha Avenue Home Cooked Meals, and so she's actually providing all of the dinners. Wow, that's really great. So to keep the money in the community, literally, that's really Absolutely. cool. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> well, I am going to introduce you first. I'm going to read your bio, and then, um, and then I'm going to uh, uh, read everyone else's. But I want to, um, you know, um, say hey to uh, Genevieve. Uh, is it Jesse? Is that how you pronounce your last name? That's right, yes. Okay, yeah. Um, fine. Thanks for joining us from Puerto Rico. Like, whoa, how cool. And where in Puerto Rico are you? 
I'm on the west coast of Puerto Rico in a little surf town called Rincon. Mm. Yeah, how do you spell that? R-I-N-C-O-N. It translates to English uh, as corner. We're like the, oh. the westernmost little tip. If you look at a, at a map of Puerto Rico, there's a little tip that sticks out on the west side, and that's us. Okay, yeah, you have to tell us um, how you got to Rincon, and um, yeah, and is there space for other people? <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people are moving here from the States. There's, there's, there's a thriving community here of folks from all over the world, really. As, um, everybody loves beaches, so <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, come on yeah, down whenever you're ready. Yeah, I'm in Alameda. You know, we have a beach here, but our island is sinking. <laughs> oh, no. Well, that's yeah. a global problem, yeah. losing losing our shores. Ah, yeah, you but, know, that's so true. <laughs> but I don't want to be uh, dark uh, for this <laughs> celebratory occasion. <laughs> that's, uh, I try to put that on my mind when I'm out there. <laughs> I used to have enough balloons so you can have an escape route planned. <laughs> you know how in um the Wizard of Oz, you know, um the wizard in, in Wiz, you know, he floated off um, you know, in his helium balloon. So, you know, we could always go that way. Um <laughs> and Rachel, um, is it uh Bublitz? Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Bublitz. Uh, bubbles. bubbles, like bubbles. Yeah, it's so wonderful. I love bubbles. Oh, my goodness, bubbles. <laughs> yeah, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for joining us Thank this you. morning. Absolutely. Yeah. And Evelyn, Jean Pine, good morning. Hi. I was so inspired hearing the poetry in the first segment. It was really <laughs> gorgeous. Oh, was yeah, I know that you stayed. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us um, and, you know, for the whole two hours. I really appreciate it. So, Tim, um, you co-founded Playground in 1994 along with Playwright, and I don't know how to pronounce the name. Uh, Bridget? uh, Yeah, yeah, Bridget Mullins. Oh, Oh, Bridget. Oh, wow. Bridget Mullins and director uh, Denise Shama. And you've served as artistic director since 1996. And for Playground, you have provided artistic and administrative leadership for the past 24 seasons, developing Playground's unique array of new playwright and new play incubator programs, including Monday Night Playground, which is so fun, Uh, the Playground Festival of New Works, another real fun (laughs) event, the full-length play, commissioning initiative, the new play production fund, portrayal stage, playground center for new plays, and most recently, the innovator, incubator. For playground, you have directed more than 100 short and full-length plays. I wonder if that's a record, including works by Garrett, Jean, how do you pronounce it? Grunveld. Grunveld. Grunveld, Aaron Lope, Geetha, mm-hmm. is it ready? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I've had her on the show before. Lauren Yee, 
Katie, May, and many others. Recent directing and dramaturgy credits include David Steele's Vignettes on Love and Ruben, how do you pronounce Ruben's last name? Grijalva. Grijalva's Value Over Replacement. You are a veteran arts administrator with more than 30 years of experience, including stints uh, leading traveling Jewish theater, really wonderful company, Smoen Ballet, another wonderful company. <laughs> I One of my classmates, um, when I was working on my master's, did the lighting for Smoen. <laughs> mm. And Berkeley Symphony. And you received your... BFA from the Yale School of Drama. Like, Yale doesn't churn out anybody that's not a winner, I don't think. We have a good track record. <laughs> yeah, very, very good. So, welcome. So, why don't you tell us about um, the uh, the gala and the June Ann Baker Prize of, you know, everyone on the show this morning is one of those prize winners. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, Playground started with the development of short new works. It was a way to get to know early career writers and to support many different writers. And after a few years, we we saw that there was a huge gap and opportunity in, in helping these writers with the full-length works that ultimately is how you, you develop your playwriting career and really become recognized um, locally and nationally. And, and right at that time, one of our benefactors, who, uh, all transparency, I'll, I'll let you know, is my father-in-law, John Gilman. He had, uh, his wife, his second wife, uh, June Ann Baker, had just passed away. Uh, she died from cancer. She was an estate planning, uh, sorry, not estate planning, she was an urban planner and also a lawyer. But she had always wanted to write. She always wanted to write, and she she hoped in her later part of her life that she would have time to do it, and she she never got to do that. And she loved Playground. She loved supporting Playground, but she didn't get to fulfill her own dream of writing. And John approached me about the idea of honoring uh, June Ann with a new prize that would be awarded annually to the top new female playwright. Um, And in the spirit of June Ann, someone who represented a gifted new comedic or political voice because that was really part of June Ann's personality. And so we started awarding the prize in 2002. And this past spring, we just awarded our 20th prize and it felt completely appropriate. I I think I, I couldn't see how, timely and poignant it would really be as, as uh, women's autonomy is so under assault right now that we would be celebrating something that should have felt so ordinary and natural and yet needs to be elevated every single day. Um, so we have these 20 amazing women writers, Genevieve, Evie, and Rachel um, are three brilliant writers that I've so enjoyed uh, following their work and, and supporting um, and uh, and p- they're part of a, a large community now of women writers who are all over the country who've come through this program, and we've played just a small part in uh, their support and, and development. So really excited. We're going to celebrate uh, the 20 years at our gala on September 20th, next Monday. I can't believe it. It's less than a week away. <laughs> and we have 
people, a lot of, a lot of people joining us from the Bay Area, getting the meals from, from Martha Avenue, but we're also having guests from um, as far away as Australia and the Netherlands and uh, a big contingent in New York City um, and several uh, people in the Midwest as well. So it's going to be uh, a real international event. Mm-hmm. And and how do how do people get tickets? And 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 some people are going to be in the theater, and some people are going to be at home. Um, so anyway, talk about the logistics of that, and how how people can um, make sure yeah, that they want to so, participate, they can. Absolutely. So the uh, the event is largely going to be online, though we're inviting people to group together in in small pods. Um, and hopefully, you know, everyone vaccinated and being safe. But uh, we're, we have groups of six to eight people at small dinner groups all over, and we're providing the dinners. And there's one group that's actually going to be in the theater, um, and they're going to be able to watch the live performances, which will be on stage and being broadcast to everyone who's going to be watching on Zoom. So there'll actually be live performances in the theater but everyone will be connected together through Zoom. And um, our benefit page where we have all of our gala information is playground-sf.org slash benefit. Cool. Super. Excellent. All righty. Um, so, Genevieve, um, you are a playwright based in Puerto Rico. You received your MFA in playwriting from Boston University and your BA at Dillard University. I added that part because I'm from New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I read all of your um, uh, winning plays because they were so short. Um, I was really sorry I couldn't read um, the longer one about teaching during the um, pandemic online because that's what I did last year. It was horrible. Um like I kept on me like I had to like keep a journal so I could remember where I was since you know it was all in my it all really literally felt like it was in my mind but it wasn't um, it was online but anyway so Genevieve's work has been staged at Playground the Source Festival Atlanta Black Theater Festival San Francisco Fringe Festival Exit Theater those women productions love that company and the festival. De Marcel or Marseille. How do you pronounce that? Mm-hmm. Marseille. 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 Yeah. Marseille. Okay. Mm-hmm. You are the recipient of commissions from Playground and Planet Earth Arts. I really like Planet Earth Arts. Um, your awards include June and Baker Prize. What year did you get your prize? Uh, I believe it was 2017. Okay. Feels like a a long time ago and just yesterday all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, other awards include Best of the San Francisco Fringe 2012, Emerging Playwright Award, uh, Playground Congo Square Theater's uh, 2021 Professional 10-Minute Play Competition winner. I'm like, oh, I know Congo Square. Um, and the recipient of a California Arts Council Artists and Communities Grant for your work on the rendering uh, cycle, and I added that to your new bio because that sounds really intriguing, the rendering cycle. Hope you talk about it. 
Uh, you were a fellow at the 2018 Cultural Diaspora Playwriting Residency at the uh, Camargo Foundation in, is it Cassis or Cassis? In Cassis. Cassis. Mm-hmm. Cassis, France. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that is. Where is that? <laughs> um, it's it, it's sort of on the on the coast. Uh, um, what is that called? The, kind of the French Riviera sort of area. Oh wow! Okay. Wow. Yeah, I've heard of the French Riviera. <laughs> um, beautiful. Where I've you never developed... been. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, sounds really nice. Where you further developed your play, The Diaspora Cycle, which I'm interested in, which was a finalist for the 2019 Bay Area Playwrights Festival, uh, semi-finalist for the 2019 O'Neill National Playwright Conference, and appeared in the 2020 Kilroyd's list. So when you say diaspora cycle, are you talking African diaspora? Uh, yes, and it's the same as the rendering cycle. It, I, I actually changed the name as I um, worked on it and further developed it. So I, I changed the name, though the, the intent is still the mm-hmm. same. It is a reflection of, of one echo of the diaspora, but the diaspora mm-hmm. is so wide and encompasses so mm-hmm. many people from, you know, that, that have landed in all over the world that I felt like the rendering cycle was a little more specific for um, the line that I was talking about, which is specifically African-American. Mm-hmm. Ah. Well, welcome. Thank you so much. I have to apologize. One of the trade-offs of living close to the beach is that my all of my technology is a little spotty, but that's all right. Sure, no problem Let's see So Rachel You are um, And let me see if I remember how to say your last name correctly Um, Bublitz Uh, Bublitz Bublitz Oh, so really I put the bubble in there Okay Yeah (laughs) Okay (laughs) Bublitz Okay Um is a playwright known for her telling stories about women and creating exciting work for young performers. You received the Will uh, Glickman Award for your play Ripped at Z-Space. Other plays include Burst, developed with Salt Lake Acting Company, Playground, and Caltech. The Night Witches, published with Dramatic Publishing, and the book Women, commissioned and published with Stage Partners. Additional awards include the Schubert Fendridge Memorial Playwriting Contest and Playgrounds June Ann Baker Prize. What year did you get the June Ann Baker Prize? Uh, my year was 2015. Okie dokie. <laughs> uh, Rachel currently lives in Salt Lake City, Utah, spending most weekends watching her two kids dominate at water polo. And you can visit her website. Her name dot com. <laughs> you probably spell it out. R A C H E L B U B L I T Z. Um, Genevieve, do you have dot com? Genevieve, do you have a website that we should tell people about? I do. Uh it's my name, Genevieve Jesse dot com. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and spell it. G-E-N-E-V-I-E-V-E-J-E-S-S-E-E dot com. 
Okie doke, thanks. Sure. A June Ann Baker Prize winner, a playground resident playwright, and a Jirasi alum, Evelyn Jean Pine, writes about everyone from Queen Isabella to an adjunct college professor living out of his car to Bill Gates at 19. Yeah, what? You know, what a spread. Uh, the Invisible Project, co-written with Katya uh, Rivera, uh, launched the Latinx Mafia stage reading series this March 2021. Molecule Lit Mag just published her quick-fire climate change play, North Pole Bedtime. Fourth Wave on Medium published publishes her poems. Her one-woman play, Freeloader, in the House of Love won the most compelling story award at the Boulder Fringe. In May 2021, Playground presented a Zoom reading of her latest comedy, Seven Secrets of Teaching Online, and that's the play I mentioned that I didn't get a chance to read last night. Kind of ran out of time. But I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. (laughs) Welcome, Evelyn Jean. Uh oh, did she fall off? Let's see. <clears throat> Are you there? I'm I'm here. I may be muted. Oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you were you. but now you're not. <laughs> Hi. All righty. So, oh, so, can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Mhm. Oh great. So, yeah. Since, thanks for thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So since you were the last person that I introduced, why don't we talk about, you know, your work and your writing. I read I read your play about um uh Ferdinand and Queen Isabella that was really funny. Um Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> But maybe you could just yeah, talk about absolutely. your writing life and just talk about some of your work and sort of what you're up to and Yeah. What brings you to this particular genre? Well, I mean, I became a play, playwright because of Playground. I had been, at the, I was, I became, I joined Playground in 2004, and they had been, previous to that, sort of posting prompts online and letting anyone submit. And I would have fantasies of writing plays. And then they closed it and said, okay, you have to apply. So I actually had to write a play <laughs> to get in. And it, I was really hooked. I was someone who, as a kid, performed in a lot of plays and read plays constantly. What I love about the form is you're not just writing words. You're really writing in the action. And you see and uh, experience uh, people in a deep three-dimensional way, both as you're writing and when you're in the theater. Um, I'm somebody who loves actors, so I really um, write thinking about the fact that here are these remarkable people who will finish the play through their performances. The last play I wrote, Seven Secrets of Teaching Online, actually, is about the experience of teaching in an East Bay Community College during the pandemic. And it's about, it's over, it begins in uh, March 20, 
and goes through September 2020, which, of course, everyone then thinks the pandemic will be over by Christmas. Um, and it's about the experience of uh, being uh, both a teacher, a person in a family, um, and just the experience of these uh, teachers who are hustling to go from teaching face-to-face to um, to actually then uh, engaging their students online. Um, and it's, uh, it's, of course, a comedy. How could it not be? Um, so I guess uh, what I want to say is I see plays as something where, yes, you can write about Queen Isabella and try to figure out uh, colonialism and why she would think kidnapping people from around the world was acceptable, but you can also try to understand the adjunct professor who's living out of their car and what is their experience then going to McDonald's to get Wi-Fi so they can connect with their students. It's that kind of um, range that makes uh, playwriting both so fun and so daunting. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you received the um, the June Ann Baker Prize, um, if I remember from reading the bio that's attached to your play in 2007? Uh, I'd probably around then, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's, such, it's in such an amazing honor because you become then part of this community of women writers. And, of course, I, I, I do want to shout out to Jim because when I got the award, there was a lot less going on in the Bay Area for women writers. Now we're really blessed with theater companies devoted to women writers, a lot, a, a lot more women launched and run theater companies. Um, but I really feel like part of what the June Ann Baker Award has done has instigated and encouraged and galvanized uh, a lot of women to step up and take leadership and a lot of solidarity between women and theater, understanding that we really all need each other and can be spurred on by each other, can support each other, inspired by each other. Um, it's really, um, I, you know, I had the pleasure of seeing Rachel's play, the staged reading that they did of it um, in this past May, and just thinking, wow, this is so, you know, I know her work and saying, wow, this is like the next, her, her, her next thing, and it's so remarkable. That, that sense of connection and feeling like, oh, yeah, Junan Baker person, I want to go see what they're up to, is just um, a wonderful, wonderful thing. And being able to ask for help from, from my, uh, my sisters and also um, being able to delight in their triumphs, it's really been wonderful. And, of course, the great thing that, that – Playground did was they realized it's not enough to just honor someone, a commission, your commission to write a play. And as anyone who's involved in theater knows, um, <laughs> a little bit of money uh, goes a long way uh, in terms of, of um, 
pushing you forward. So it's just been a wonderful um, that that honor continues to um, galvanize me so many years later. It's quite quite something. Mm, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. I, um, just you're talking about um, you know this uh, seven secrets of teaching online. So which which um, uh, I guess was it the Peralta Community College that um, that you taught in? Of course. Yeah, I taught it. Uh, I taught at Ber- BCC at Berkeley, uh, <laughs> Berkeley State Berkeley College. City. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. and but and of course the the play is not just about them, but it's about the experience that anybody mm-hmm. who teaches in the community colleges has, and what a wonderful experience that is, and also the challenges of it, and how. Um, you know how I feel like like uh, instructors and adjunct professors in the community colleges are really working so hard and having such profound impact, and so rarely honored. There's no June Ann Baker Award uh, for that, <laughs> you know, um, and uh, and and yet there's there's so much power there and and just wonderful work that people do. So yeah, and it, it, yeah, I just don't. I, I just feel like uh, teachers of all kinds don't get um, their stories don't get told enough. Uh, hmm. <laughs> it, oh, it's wow. also it's also a play about finding your family that people are finding both both there's uh, someone who's an imposter, someone who turns out to have lost their family and finds it through the play and someone actually gives birth online in the play and is helped, <laughs> you know, by another teacher who's on, you know, in their own apartment. Um, so there's a lot that goes on in that play. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot of fun, even though it's wrestling with some really, um, important things about how we connect, what secrets we tell ourselves and tell others. Mm, Are you, mm-hmm. do, you, I, do you teach as well, Wanda? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, um, uh, I'm not on. I'm off this, uh, this semester on sick leave. But, yeah, I've been at, uh, I'm a tenured faculty at um, the College of Alameda English Department. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Yeah, looking That's to great. retire hopefully soon. Um, are you teaching this semester? No, I'm just I just um, retired myself. I'm America oh, from San Francisco you. State, and then um, <laughs> and then I taught at Berkeley City College and also at San Francisco um, City College or City College of San Francisco. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny because I love, you know, I love having more time to write. I love actually having time to get my plays out, but I do mm-hmm. miss the students, you know. we One of the great things about teaching is that you, you meet remarkable people, and I would always joke, but there was deep truth to it, that I always knew there was someone learning in my class, and that mm-hmm. person was me, 
it's such a <laughs> powerful and wonderful thing to be yeah. uh, to get to hang out with a bunch of people who've committed to to study and education. It's just wonderful, yeah. and community that colleges feels, particularly. That feels full circle for me because I I came to theater as an actor. And after I finished Dillard and, and I moved from New Orleans back to Oakland where I'm where I'm from, I thought I should I should try to write a one woman show. I should I should make a role for myself. <laughs> and how am I gonna do that? And I took a, a playwriting class at Berkeley Community College. It was my first playwriting class I ever took. And it set me on this path. So I'm enjoying your conversation <laughs> about this. Yeah, that's 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 a fantastic story. Mm-hmm. Do you remember your um, teacher's name? Oh my goodness, her name was Mary, and I can't remember her last name because she had us call her by her first name, so I don't remember <laughs> her last name. But mm. she was really passionate about writing and about you know, especially the the people that were gathered there and you know in the evenings to learn about playwriting and screenwriting and. I think sometimes that's all it takes to sort of really set your feet on a path is to to have an idea or to have just a little bit of an instinct and to meet someone else who's really passionate about it and tells you that you can do it, like keep going. There is a way ahead. There is a path here, even if you can't see it. So I'm sure there's lots of stories like that who pass through those classrooms. For me, it it just was the first step, and I kept going and, and going and going. I, I want to give a shout-out to, to Cleavon Smith, too, who's oh, yeah. taught at Berkeley City College so brilliantly, um, just a remarkable, a remarkable playwright. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you how, how one of the great things about playwriting is I think that we begin with these small steps and have no idea the remarkable places that they'll take us. Uh, yeah, it's really fantastic. Or even that it's it's possible. You know, I think in in my community that I grew up in, like I think about my my grandmother. She didn't even know what a playwright was. She was like, "What are you doing? Okay, great. If you like it, I love it." Um, <laughs> but there were there were people out there who who knew about it and who were passionate and that I had access to. You know, it's like hey, I can go right down there to Berkeley City College, right, you know, down the street, and I can learn something that I don't know a lot about. I just kind of have an idea. And it's so nice to have that framework already in place for people who may may not even have, you know, even the slightest, you know, idea or support. I, I have support, emotional support. But in terms of, you know, the knowledge base, you know, my family was just like, theater, okay, whatever that, okay, cool. Yeah, that, if that's, that lights you up, then we want to see that happening so I'll take you to the classes I'll do whatever it is to help put you on that path so it's really nice to have communities out there that exist for for everyone wherever they are on their journey totally mm. totally yeah. Yeah. so um, Genevieve since um, you jumped in uh, why don't you keep on talking to us about um, sort of that that one woman show that you wrote or that you were interested in writing and sort of bring us up to, you know, your writing life presently. Sure. Um, I wanted to, at the time, 
feels like a long, long time ago, and I guess it was, right, a, a one-woman show just about sort of um, growing up in Oakland and watching it shift. Um, I grew up in the 80s, and um, so I wanted to kind of document this arc that I saw in my own family and in the community around me of um, during that time, the crack epidemic was really uh, prevalent and sort of I wanted to chronicle this journey of my grandmother, um, who we call Big Mama, um, from Mississippi to California and how she built a life and sort of watching the crumbling of that community that she was a member of and sort of trying to reinvent ourselves, um, you know, after the wake of that and the through line of this, this strength, particularly in the black community, but especially from black women that kind of uh, anchored me through my life. And that kind of set me, set me to writing a, a one woman show. Um, and that set me on the path of being a playwright. Once I, once I did that, I was like, whoa, I get to tell the stories? Yes, I'm in. <laughs> and then I started writing other things and other stories that weren't mine. And, and here I am, still, still doing it. Got the bug. <laughs> nice, yeah. I was thinking about the um, uh, your um, I Had a Bird, um, which was... Really, really nice. Um, I guess that was your um, piece that um, was in the. Uh, I guess. Um, I guess you can help me. The um, playground. Yeah. Uh huh. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really. Um, I like. I like the characters um, and um, and the uh, the play on influenza and the pandemic and. And I think you wrote this before the pandemic, <laughs> uh, but yeah. it's such a great play, especially you know, timely with now. Kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's um, the best of playground festival is you know, and playground in general just feels like such a writing home for me. I move a lot. My wife is in the army, so we move every two years, and every time. I'm back in the Bay Area, I reconnect with Playground and try to maintain our connection even when I'm away um, because I just feel like it's given me such a boost as I, you know, when I step out with an idea and I'm like, hmm, you know, you're sitting and writing alone sort of, well, I'll speak for myself. I feel like I'm sort of in a bubble of like, I had an idea. I'm going to try that out. Does that make sense to anyone else? Is this going to land for anyone else? I don't know. And then you bring it forward at Playground and you, you get to hear feedback and you get to you get to have a, a little life for that play. And that for me has been such a boost, you know, sometimes I think as artists just, something that gives you a confidence boost like yes this is a good idea keep going it's just it's so much of the process especially for a new writer um so that play you know it it was a part of a prompt and it's still one of my favorite you know, as all you know playground plays are they have a you know a theme and a prompt and it's still one of my favorite plays you know to this day because it 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 gives you the opportunity to tap into something that maybe is on your mind, but you don't have the opportunity necessarily. You know, I have now I have two children and have a pretty um, 
active schedule. But what I love about playground is that I, I was like, okay, I have these, these, these many days, I have two days, go do it right now. No excuses. <laughs> uh, and I love that. It's, it's, so helpful and I think it's helped me to produce some really great ideas that have you know germinated there and gone on to be even you know bigger things so that's been a really a truly uh, impactful part of my writing life and to be in this you know sisterhood of of June and Baker Prize winners you know is such a it's a part of that confidence boost it's a part of feeling like I belong in this writing community and look at all of these other people all of these other women who are doing it too who are stepping out and putting their ideas out and you know that takes a lot of bravery I think to to put your ideas out in the world and and hear what people think about it (laughs) and keep pushing it and moving it forward and making it something new and evolving it. So it's been, a, I've, I feel really fortunate to be a part of this community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking as I was reading, um, you know, the short plays, you know, like really, really short, like nine, ten pages. I think the longest one was about ten pages that I read. And in yours, uh, I had a bird. I really like, um, you know, your characters are one, two, and I think three, and mm-hmm. two, three are sisters. Um, two is the younger sister of three, and it's said in the South. And and one, the little black girl says um, to two, um, and and the little girl, her um, one's mother is is a nurse, um, and uh, and she says, Mama says, a thought's got weight, but it's light, and the wind to carry it all over town, even if it's a whisper. So you got to think a good one because, you know, they got this influenza um, epidemic that's happening, and it's a real thing. I mean, it really happened, and a lot of people died. Um, and and so you got to, like, uh, you know, hold the right thought. And then if that doesn't work, then the girl had something else, um, you know, that her mother told her, which I thought was also really sweet. Um, yeah, where where did this this play come from? This is really really beautiful. Um, thank you. Um, you know, I guess we're all they all come from somewhere floating around in the subconscious about ideas that are swimming <laughs> around in there, and you sit down at a computer, and then boom, you got a play. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's um. <laughs> You know, I think there's something elemental about the way that we relate to each other, especially in hardship and, and, you know, in things Mm -hmm. like a pandemic, you get kind of down to like the brass tacks, the bones of being a human. And that play actually was done at the the Festival of Marseille and it was translated into French. So I I couldn't understand what their translation was. I mean, I knew, I know the play, but um, to see it and not know what they're saying exactly it's still all translated because the ideas of connection, seeking connection, understanding hardship and sorrow and yearning and family, that's universal in any language, in any place, in any group of people. And I think that I I always hope and strive that the plays I'm writing are, are getting to that. They're accessing those sort of elemental parts of humanity that it doesn't it doesn't matter who you are, you can connect with the idea of of fear mm-hmm. of of you know losing a loved one of 
of larger crises in your community, of trying to connect with people who are different, but they are actually more alike than you, you even realize. I think if we could get maybe a little dose of that right now, uh, could be useful, mm-hmm. helpful. Um, so, yeah, I guess those ideas are living inside of me. I got a shout out to my mom who's there in Oakland um, <laughs> for planting those seeds, um, you know, of, of connection, that that's really the, the point of all of this. And I guess that's just the way it, it manifested in that play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, playing jump rope and, uh, yeah, and and the different songs that go along with, you know, the the jumping and then the the – the older older girl three, um, sort of giving in to the hope, which is a good thing to give into. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, very nice. And thank you. And Rachel, oh sure, no problem. You're welcome. And Rachel, um, really, really loved uh, reading Barber in 2070. <laughs> oh, thank um, you. Yeah, yeah, it was almost like juxtaposing the ideas of extinction and and rebirth in in one short play. Um, yeah, I wonder if you could talk about about your work. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so I I started also as an actor uh, in theater, hmm. and it wasn't until um, I had kids that I started writing plays. It was right after I graduated college and. I realized like I was living in the Bay Area and I couldn't afford um, <laughs> to act in a play and pay a babysitter to watch my kids because the amount I would be making in a play wouldn't be anything. <laughs> and I need to shell out $25 an hour to uh, a nice person to keep my kids safe. And so I try, but I was so sad to not be in theater that um, I had to figure out a way to get back in and which led me right back to to playwriting, I had written a lot of um, not great poetry in high school and sad short stories. So I've always written quite a lot and a lot of uh, journal entries. Um, And so that's kind of what brought me into theater or into playwriting. And then I just remembered all the times when I was an actor uh, and I wanted to play, you know, like in my acting classes, we would have to choose between like four different playwrights. Um, it was like Tennessee Williams, Eugene O'Neill, Arthur Miller, and um, oh, one more. Uh, I forget the, the fourth, but there were never any parts for women or young ladies or girls. Um, and I would look around my acting class and it would be 75 to 90% women or girls. And it was so maddening because we would constantly have to gender swap roles or, you know, who's going to play the mom this time? I guess I'll be the nurse. You know, there were just so many limited parts for women that, you know, when I started to write plays and still to this day, like my passion is to write parts for women and for girls um, that are complex and interesting and funny and just as vital and alive as all the male parts that we've known for forever because, there have been more men being produced and getting those plays published and they get to then live on uh, longer than any works by women often have looking back over the years. Um, So that's like, I feel like it's one 
my passion to like create those roles, but it's also like then easier to get the things produced because there are just more women and girls in theater. Um, it's not just in classes and a lot of theaters and companies, you just constantly see a lot more women um, and they're constantly like struggling to cast the few roles that they have for men. So I think it's like a, it's a double whammy and it helps, it helps me. Um, and then I also write a lot for children. Um, I, in high school, we didn't have a ton of, you know, we did a lot of um, comedies that were just, that, again, all the roles were for men. Um, and like Neil Simon, we did a lot of Neil Simon where we gender swapped all the parts and it was like about adults. And I, I, I never felt a lot of connection to the work. And so um, actually winning the June Ann Baker prize and getting that first commission really emboldened me to reach out to a theater that was for that. Uh, it was a youth theater. And I said, Hey, would you commission a play for me? I have this idea for a comedy that could be produced at high schools across the country. Um, it's called cheerleaders versus aliens. And I think being commissioned by playground first really gave me the confidence to go a cold call, basically a theater and say, I think I can give you something that you need and want. And they said, Oh, okay. Yeah, let's do that. What does this look like? And, you know, we created kind of a new commissioning system for the theater who had never commissioned before. And now I think we're on, I've done three or four commissions with them. Um, we do, we've kind of, we're off track because of the pandemic, but it's been really fun to like create all these new roles. Um, that's also where I wrote the night witches, which is uh, now published with dramatic publishing, which is about women, Russian women during world war two who flew planes um, and, you know, bomb Nazis all through the night. And then, um, the one I'm working on right now is called The Summer I Howled, which is about werewolves at a summer camp. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm all, I'm all over the place. I love historical <laughs> plays. I like comedies. Um, I also write for adults. My play that won the Will Glickman Award that was published at, or excuse me, produced with Z Space um, had to do with state uh, rape. Um, and violence against oh. women and rape culture in general. Um, so I do write for adults, <laughs> adult specific things. And then the play that will be in the next uh, New Works Festival for um, Playground as a uh, development production and was in last year's as a stage reading is called Funny Like an Abortion, which is a comedic two-hander for two women um, kind of dealing with the dystopian world that we're very quickly getting closer to where abortion is legal and illegal and you could be punished um, severely for. So uh, I think the, the through line for me is women and comedy um, is what is probably present in every single play. Right. Wow. So, so when do you write um, since you have your, your children, do you write before they wake up? Do you write while they're playing? Uh, how, where, when do you write? Well, when I when I first started writing, they were young. They were like a year and a half and three and a half, I believe. Um, so I think actually writing when they were so young made me um, very precious about my writing time. So it was like, you know, every nap time I had maybe 20 minutes to really get some work done. You know, I would t take them to the park and I'd have my notebook. That would be a good 45 minutes, maybe if I was lucky. 
Um, I could get them in front of, you know, not fighting for 10 minutes. It was just really like any chance I ever got to, to write, I had to take it, which I think gave me a tenacity of writing that like I could not take anything, any amount of time for writing for granted. Now I'm, they're older and luckily, you know, they're in school. So I get a lot more time still use that uh, lesson that they taught me that like all time that is dedicated to writing must be used for writing. So I'm able to get quite a lot done um, pretty quickly usually when I'm working on a new project. Mm. Nice, nice. Yeah, wow. Well, thank you. I'm in awe that you oh. started writing when your children were, were small. <laughs> That's like a Herculean feat or Amazonian feat, should I say. <laughs> it was tough. <laughs> my, my, and Audrey, Audrey's my oldest. When she was like four or five, um, she came over to me one night when I was getting ready to go see, I think it was actually going to a Monday night playground where one of my plays was getting performed. And she said, mommy, when I grow up, I'm not going to be a playwright, but I don't ever have to leave my kids. And then just walked away. I remember they like to drop those little bombs, don't they? I know. <laughs> I, rem- I remember that I, there was a play that I wrote for playground that my son was struggling at that time to read. And he came into the living room. He was probably eight and said, I don't understand why she pulls the knife on him. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what is he talking about? <laughs> and he read my play back. Oh, it was like, goodness. hilarious. But it was like, wow, if that's what it takes him to get interested in reading. But it was like, what's mom <laughs> sneaking around doing? It was hilarious when I finally realized that was what he was talking about. Yeah, writing with kids is is both a blast, and I agree with you, Rachel. It really teaches you to take the time when you can get it. That's for sure. Absolutely. Oh, wow. That's great. Oh, my goodness. Um, Jim, I wanted to ask you if you could share um, uh, with with, uh, my audience, as well as, um, you know, certainly um, uh, Genevieve, Rachel, and uh, Evelyn Jean, uh, please feel free to add to this. But um, I remember when I interviewed Cleavon um, way back when. Thanks for mentioning him. Um, he's a colleague of mine that I met. Sure. Oh man, over a decade ago, we were both teaching um, at Contra Costa College at that time as adjunct professors in the English department, and. And, you know, now he's like a famous <laughs> as a playwright. Um, and, uh, but he told me in, in, um, in an interview, because he, he does a lot of uh, plays based on his ancestors and that history, particularly um, um, I think it was uh, uh, the other, other uh, let's see, uh, I guess the British side of, of the, um, of the, um, um, the Civil, not Civil War, um, the Revolutionary War, and people of African descent fighting on the British side um, uh, because of what was what was promised them. And so anyway, mm-hmm. but he was telling me that for playwrights, um, playground, that you have to like show up with work. Um, and and I don't remember how that how the process works. Well, sometimes you could talk about how you um playground develops um plays and playwrights play writers yeah yeah 
So the Monday night series that, that everyone's mentioned, that's, that's our sort of starting point. And um, starting in, I think, 2003, we created the writer's pool, and you have to apply to get in. And it, it requires, a, a, even for newest writers, you know, writing their very first play, but you have to then commit. You have to commit that you're going to write several months over the course of the year each time you get a prompt. And so by the end of uh, a season, each writer will have anywhere between, you know, five and six original plays that they've created, and each of those plays is, is competitively given the opportunity to, to be put up at Berkeley Rep, where we've been for the last 18 years. Um, and then the best of those works get, get produced fully as part of our festival. So it gives a writer a chance to go from a concept under a deadline to a stage reading to potentially a production and a number of those short works eventually get uh, expanded, adapted and expanded into a full length work. And we've seen huge success with writers taking their own intellectual property and and really fully developing those into bigger ideas. Um, Genevieve's uh, The Rendering Cycle started out as just a series of short 10 minute plays that had been written to various prompts and, and some other new work that had been generated as Genevieve started shaping it. And it ultimately turned into 10 very interconnected plays that were part of a larger whole. Um, and, and I know that in, in some of the early conversations that Genevieve and I had, you know, using sort of inspiration of August Wilson's uh, um, cycle, but where, where he had done that with full lengths, taking these short plays so that it could really be impact, impactful and you could see these stories and these characters in just one sitting. Um, and so we've had a lot of success with sort of looking at how to provide writers uh, different support over, over, their sort of, over their professional journey, whether it's the 10-minute play as an exercise or expanding into commissions or getting your plays produced. Um, and the festival, which all of these writers um, have been a part of, has sort of become an important showcase where we can say to the world, these are writers you really need to get to know. This is, this is where you can get to know Evie and, and, and Genevieve and Rachel. Start to get to know their work. And if you're smart, you're going to reach out to these writers and commission them. You're going to invite them to be part of your, your next season because they're, they're just you know, really doing some amazing storytelling. And they're just also great collaborators. I mean, they really enjoy what theater brings, which is that we're putting all these people together in a room and trying to figure out how to get these stories up on their feet. Um, and we take so much inspiration from these writers. It's such a pleasure to direct or to, you know, help stage the work that they've created. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to know um, how, how does, like, do you have to come and know how to write a play? Or, I mean, how does, how does that work um, becoming a part of yeah. this pool? Well, so I always love having these chances to hear from from playground writers because part of the discovery for me is learning how many writers who joined us wrote their first play just to get into the program, um, that they weren't writing plays for years and years, that sometimes it was just, oh, I want to be a part of this community, and they wrote a play. Um, mm-hmm. And so it really just takes one short work to apply. And for many writers in our company, 
that was the first thing they ever wrote was trying to get in and writing a play and sort of taking their ideas and turning it into dialogue and, and character development. Uh, there are classes that are offered throughout the Bay Area. We used to offer more classes. We've, we've really started to focus our teaching on uh, working with high school students, but uh, for, for a long time we used to offer playwriting classes. But there are a lot of programs out there. Um, some of our writers have, have uh, taken graduate school level pro, uh, teaching, have, I'm sorry, have gone to graduate school for playwriting. Others have just taken classes either with Playwrights Foundation or um, have just become part of a writer's group where you can show a few pages and just get support. So I would say that programs like Playground particularly, we're interested in early career artists, early career writers, where it might be the very first play they've ever written. And if you're ever interested in joining that kind of community, the best thing you can do is start attending and seeing what the work looks like and, and what excites you. And then you're going to tell your own story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um and then secondly I wanted to ask you if you could um tell us about um the program for Monday the twentieth. Um you're gonna actually yeah. um feature a play and I read it and it's really nice. Well we've actually yeah, we've got two plays. Uh were oh, it, it it was I have to say, uh it, it was really challenging trying to find two short works <laughs> to feature as 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 our playwrights uh, with me on this program know, we often have in our galas featured lots of programming, and and the the attendees and board have really tried to help you know sort of me understand that you know you sometimes have to just leave people a little bit hungrier, um, you know feed them well, <laughs> feed them hungry for more entertainment so they come back. And so if you really want to see a full evening of just theater, you should come to see our shows. But if you want to sort of get a taste, just a taste. We're going to do that at the gala, and we're, we're doing a piece by Karen Macklin called Ophie's Apothecary, which imagines what would happen if Ophelia uh, was going to a, um, a coach, a sort of life coach, and, uh, and that life coach herself had a sort of very interesting story about who she is and how she got into this field. Um, and so that's the, the first one, and uh, it actually has Ophelia and Hamlet in the story. Um, and then the other is a piece written a number of years ago by one of our writers, Robin Lynn Rodriguez, who has since mm-hmm. relocated to Australia with her family. And it's a beautiful piece that takes you on a journey as a, a series, as a trio of young mothers go through parts of Oakland that essentially are part of the sort of daily life of how you – engage with your fellow mothers, but also with uh, sort of taking care of your children. So it includes a journey to fairyland. It includes a journey to the Temescal farmer's market. Um, and, uh, and it's really a love, uh, a love poem to Oakland, um, to what sort of makes Oakland so special. And, and also being very honest about the challenges, about gentrification, about, um, about the cost of living, um, but it's just a really beautiful uh, sort of play poem, and we're going to present those two pieces live. And what we're doing that's going to be particularly fun, we've cast three women actors who will play the roles in both plays, so you'll get to see some of the transformation mm-hmm. that our actors get to do in bringing plays uh, by Playground to life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and who, who are the actors? 
So we just finished casting, and the actors are Amy. They're they're, uh, they're all company members of Playground. Karen Offren, mm-hmm. Amy Lazardo, and Nicole Bruno. Uh, so a really amazing trio of uh, women actors that we've loved working with, and uh, the entire evening is really uplifting women's voices and saying that the work that we've been doing for the last 20 years, it, we're not done and we have more work to do. Um, and we're, we're actually going to be launching a special fellowship program to uh, highlight and uplift more women uh, artists at, in all the different disciplines of the theater community. So that's part of a, a big special announcement that we're making at the gala next Monday. Wow, that's excellent. That sounds really wonderful. And, again, um, you can get your tickets at playground-sf.org um, benefit, forward slash benefit, and, and I link to it here uh, in the description. So any any closing words um, from we can sort of make the circle if you like? <laughs> yeah, I, I want to encourage people if they're interested in playwriting, to leap in. That often uh, people get intimidated by the form, but there's nothing um, more fun and delightful. So people should, when they're done, and particularly women, when they're done listening to this show, they should sit down and write a play. And it can be two (laughs) sentences, or it can be five acts, but go for it. Nice. I love that. You. you said it. You said it all, Evelyn. I uh, I echo those sentiments <laughs> and thank you for for having us on to to talk about something I think we're all passionate about. And um, and I also would like to take this moment to thank uh, Jim and Playground. You all. I'm I'm here in Puerto Rico, but you all are still in my heart and my mind. So I'm sending well wishes <laughs> from here. I'd like to echo that as well. <laughs> we'll just be echoes of each other. Um, right place, <laughs> go see theater. Um, and thank you, Jim and Playground, and all you've given to the Bay Area theater community. It's huge. You've launched so many playwrights. It's incredible. Well, thank you all. And Wanda, particularly, you, you've really given me a huge gift today because I miss the chance to be with each of these writers and see their work in person. And so even this moment of just being together um, on your show is, is really special. And I'm glad that all of them are going to be joining us uh, through the gala, uh, um, either in person at small gatherings or, or online, but I'm going to get to see them all again on zoom in a couple of days. Yes. Uh, well, you're quite welcome, and thank you for curating uh, this wonderful conversation. Um, yeah, we've spoken in the past, and I uh, really love, you know, Playground. It's a wonderful institution, and, yeah, I'm going to have to get my playwriting hat on. I've got to learn how to do that. So I'm really Absolutely. looking forward to, uh, you know, sort of yeah. honing my skill set and then sending something in. Because <laughs> I really love theater, right. and I think I need to try to write something. <laughs> We we look forward to it, Wanda. <laughs> all right, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you all on Monday um, at the gala. All right. Thank you. Thanks you again. All right, you take good care. Right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Peace and blessings. 
So we are going to close out with a little Archie Shep, um, thinking um, I really like Revolution. <laughs> That's my favorite one of his, um, well, of the ones that I have here. I also like um, Cousin Mary. Which one am I gonna play? I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna play. Um, hmm. I think I'm gonna play Cousin Mary, just because we're sort of talking about women today.
thanks so much for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. You take good care. Oh, I want to remind everyone uh, to not miss Omar Salsa at SF Jazz on Thursday, tomorrow. It's going to be really, really, really awesome. Um, the uh, program is um, uh, Journey to uh, the Motherland. And of course, the motherland is Africa. And uh, Omar is going to be joined by two phenomenal artists. Um, uh, and uh, it's going to be both an in-person and virtual experience. So you can be at SF Jazz, um, you know, there in the um, um, the theater, or you can be online. So um, I think it starts at 7 o'clock. So go to sfjazz.org and get your tickets. You don't want to miss this 360 experience. It's going to be really, really awesome. So that's just a little reminder. And we had Omar on Monday uh, talking about this uh, project with uh, Katenji um, uh, um, uh visual artist and sculptor who is uh, one of the collaborators on this project. So, yeah, you can go to the archives and listen to that interview. So, again, thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Wanda's Picks. Tune in on Friday, same time. Peace and blessings. <laughs>